Prabhupada's translation and purport. My dear Lord, you are the best of the demigods who can offer benedictions. You might ask, why is Prithimaraj calling him a demigod? The Lord appears in all species. So the Lord as Vishnu is his incarnation among the demigods. Sometimes it is said, Vamandev is his incarnation among the demigods. So, my dear Lord, you are the best of the demigods who can offer benedictions. Why, therefore, should any learned person ask you for benedictions meant for living entities bewildered by the modes of nature? Such benedictions are available automatically, even in the lives of living entities suffering in hellish conditions. My dear Lord, you can certainly bestow merging into your existence, but I do not wish to have such a benediction. Srila Prabhupada's purport. There are different kinds of benedictions according to a person's demands. For karmis, the best benediction is promotion to the higher planetary systems, where the duration of life is very long and the standard of living and happiness is very high. There are others, namely jnanis and yogis, who want the benediction of merging into the existence of the Lord. This is called Kaivalya. The Lord is therefore addressed as Kaivalya Pati, the master or Lord of the benediction known as Kaivalya. But devotees receive a different type of benediction from the Lord. Devotees are anxious neither for the heavenly planet nor for merging into the existence of the Lord. According to devotees, kaivalya, or merging into the existence of the Lord, is considered as good as hell. The word narika means hell. Similarly, anyone who exists in this material world is called narika because this material existence itself is known as a hellish condition of life. Prithu Maharaj, however, expressed that he was interested neither in the benediction desired by the karmis or that desired by the jnanis and yogis. Srila Prabhupada Nanda Sarasvati Prabhu, a great devotee of Lord Chaitanya, described that Kaivalya is no better than a hellish condition of life, and as for the delights of the heavenly planets, they are factually will-of-the-wisps, or phantasmagoria. They are not wanted by devotees. Devotees do not even care for the positions held by Lord Brahma or Lord Shiva, nor does a devotee desire to become equal with Lord Vishnu. As a pure devotee of the Lord, Prithu Maharaj made his position very clear. Prithu Uvacha Varan Vibho Tvad Varadesh Varad Buddha Katam Vrinite Guna Vikrayatmanam Yenarakana Mapi Santi Dehinam Tam Ishakai Valya Pate Rene Nacha. Oh, my dear Lord, you are the best of the demigods who can offer benedictions. Why, therefore, should any learned person ask you for benedictions meant for living entities bewildered by the modes of nature? Such benedictions are available automatically even in the lives of living entities suffering in hellish conditions. My dear Lord, you can certainly bestow merging into your existence, but I do not wish to have such a benediction. So, it seems sort of a little odd. He's saying, I don't want this. I don't want this. Uh, 
But don't worry. In the next verse, he says what he does want. Uh, in the next verse, he says he wants millions of ears. <laughs> millions of ears. Not literally, of course. Uh, just like the devotee I'm staying with here in North Carolina was saying how there were so many classes she wanted to listen to online right now, and she couldn't listen to all of them at once. So that's what Prithumaraj wants. But he starts off by saying what he doesn't want. He don't want. He don't want. What do I not want? I don't want to merge. Huh? I don't want to merge into your existence. I don't want material pleasures in the heavenly planets. That's what I don't want. So sometimes it's very useful to know what we don't want. Now, in psychology, we learn that if we focus on what we don't want, we're likely to get what we don't want. And therefore, generally, we advise people, if you're going to have a sankalpa, you focus on what you do want. You don't focus on what you don't want. We've had an exercise we do with people. We say, think of whatever you like except for an elephant. And everybody's thinking of an elephant. I mean, we've seen among devotees, you know, these uh, renunciates that all they ever talk about is grahasa life. And, you know, these sannyasis, all they ever talk about is how terrible women are. And then they get one for themselves. Because when we focus on what we don't want, uh, we're likely to get whatever we focus on. Yam yam papi smaram bhavam twaja chante kalevaram tampam evatikonteya sadhatsadvama bhavita. In the 15th chapter also, that's in the 8th chapter, Bhagavad Gita, in the 15th chapter, Krishna is describing that we transmigrate like the air carries aromas. Whatever aroma we're carrying, a negative or positive impression will carry us. So what we, if we're fixating on what we don't want, we'll get what we don't want. We'll, we'll get what we hate. But that's not what Prithu Maharaj is doing. He's not like, I don't want to merge, I don't want to merge, I don't want heaven, I don't want heaven, no heaven, no heaven, no merge, no merge, no merge. But he's understanding, this is what I don't want. And many times that is important. Many times that is important, not only to have a to-do list, but a not-to-do list. So we should know what benedictions we shouldn't ask for. Hmm? We definitely should know what benedictions are not to ask for. And it's not just, of course, a question of knowing, but it's a question of, of feeling. Yes? And we're going to look at uh, what benedictions we should not ask for and, and why. So what do we mean by having a not-to-do list? Of course, we have our four regulative principles. It's interesting that Srila Prabhupada talks, uses this term regulative or sometimes regulated principles in two different senses. Sometimes he uses the word regulative principles to talk about getting up early, worshiping the deity, chanting 16 rounds, offering our food to Krishna. Sometimes he talks about them in that sense. And other times he talks about what he calls our four regulative principles, no illicit sex, no meat eating, no intoxication, no gambling. And when Prabhupada talks about rules and regulations, he generally talks about rules as the positive 
and regulations as the negative. But again, he does use, use the word regulative principles uh, also sometimes to mean the positive. When we look at Rupa Goswami's list of the 64 limbs or angas of bhakti, we find he gives a list of these are the things to do. And then he gives a list, these are the things not to do. He tells us lists of offenses, right, of things to avoid. So, you know, worship the Tulsi tree and don't offer obeisances on one hand, right? Chant the holy name, don't blaspheme the devotees. So he gives us a to-do list and a not-to-do list. It's not that we should be obsessing over the not-to-do or meditating on the not-to-do, but we do have rules and regulations. And even in, in management, you know, if you go to a management guru or learn how to be productive or something, you are often, you'll often be told, you know, have a to-do list. I'm going to work on my book every day for two hours. But you might also have a not-to-do list. You know, and you'll see not-to-do lists like uh, don't be looking at your screen right before you go to bed. You know, don't exercise at this time of day. You know, there'll be different things. Don't waste your time doing this. Don't be distracted doing that. There'll be not-to-do lists. You know, if you have some sort of disease, Prabhupada would always give this analogy, you may get a to-do and a not to do. So um, it'll be now almost three weeks ago that I injured my right arm and I've been given, you know, a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. <laughs> you know? Or or you do it like this, you know, do this this exercise, do it five times a day, but don't do it more. If you do it more, then it could actually cause injury. You know, you can do this movement with your arm, but you can't do this movement with your arm, and that's quite common, or with a diet, where you're told, okay, eat these kind of foods, and don't eat these kind of foods, right, it's, it's extremely common, there'll be a list of, you know, the foods you can eat, and the foods you're not supposed to eat, the movements you can do, the movements that you shouldn't do, both kinds of things, and often, eliminating a not-to-do thing, is as helpful as a as adding a to-do thing. You know, somebody saying, I'm, I'm not going to read the news until I finish my rounds. That can be just as helpful as saying, you know, I'm going to sit down and focus on my rounds better. Right? What am I going to eliminate from my life? And I think that often some of the most uh, transformative times in our life is when we figured out what we don't want to do. You know, maybe I don't want to live in this place. I don't want to be friends with this person. I don't want to do this job. Now, I, I mean, just speaking personally in, in my own life, I've had a number of these really, like, very strong experiences, especially with what service I would do and how I would live. You know, I, I remember... Uh, doing some service for a devotee organization. It was a wonderful organization, wonderful project. But what I learned from that is that it wasn't the right kind of project for me. You know, it was, it was like, <laughs> it, it wasn't suitable for me. And I thought, oh, 
this is not the kind of, of work that I should be doing. And ever since then, I, I have never done that kind of work. Or I remember one time staying at a temple for a few months, this is many years ago, uh, maybe 18 years ago, and I had a god sister there, and she was absorbed in certain things that she was always talking about, and I realized I did not want to have the kind of life that she had. I was looking at her life and looking at what she talked about and what she worried about and what was absorbing her, and I was like, oh, that, that's not a road I want to I want to go on. And I made a firm determination. You know, that's, that's not what I want. I don't want to go that direction. It's interesting if any of you have read Radhana Swami's book, The Journey Home. So he came to following the four regulated principles like that. He had certain experiences in life, and then he said, you know, oh, okay, I'm not going to eat meat anymore. I'm, never, I'm going to be celibate my whole life. You know, he made, he, he made these determinations by having certain experiences or seeing the behavior of other people and just saying that that's just it's something I'm going to cut out of my life. It's something I'm not going to do. So here, Prithu Maharaj is giving us an example of what not to ask from the Lord, what not to have as our goal in life. And I think it's, it's kind of similar to my experience with this God sister years ago, where she was, she was, I mean, I'll just say, frankly, she was very interested in making a lot of money and in finding the perfect man for herself. So that was her, her whole um, her whole focus. Let me find the perfect man and let me make a lot of money. And I looked at it and said, you know, I could see what it was doing to her. I could see what that emphasis was doing to her spiritual life and to her as a person. And I just said, you know, it, it's, it's not where I want to go. So Prijamarj is, in a very similar way, he's looking at the people in the world and saying they want heaven. That's what most people want in this world. I mean, if we get down to it, if we go to the details, it may be different. You know, one person wants to live in Hawaii and another person wants to live in Colorado and one person wants to marry this kind of person and another one wants to marry another kind of person and we want different jobs. And, but what we're looking for is a life that's full of pleasure with very little unhappiness where there's a lot of pleasure available very easily, where there's very little disease, there's very little anxiety, uh, where people are not so full of envy and lust and anger. Yeah, that, that's what we want. But we want to still be the center. You know, we're, we're still, we want to be focused on our own um, sense enjoyment. We want to be focused on our own self at the center. But we would like to have that, uh, you know, without the inebriates of it. Yes? Uh, so he's looking and seeing, okay, well, that's, that's something that most people are, are wanting. And do I want that? Is that something that I should ask for? And this desire for that kind of a life, I would say, is very deep-rooted in most of us. I heard a class where Bhakti Began Mars was saying, you know, if Indra came before us with a chariot to take us to Swarga, how many of us would refuse? 
you know, honestly, how many of us would refuse? He, he was giving the analogy that just like sometimes you're sitting at a feast and the servers come by with, you know, for the second or third time with this rich paneer subji and you're thinking, uh, I, I've already had two servings and so you say no and then as the server moves down you say ah I should have taken another helping right and would it be like that if Indra came you know and said I could take you to Swarga and you know how would we respond if there are other devotees around then for our ego we might say, no, 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 I'm not interested in Swarga. It's, it's just like narc. It's just like hell. <laughs> but then when he left, we might go, oh, boy, I really missed an opportunity there. You know, what are, so, but he's seeing that this is one of the goals of the world that most of us want at, at some level, even if we're not admitting it. And we may not see it because we may define it differently. For one person, heaven is in the mountains. For one person, heaven is by the ocean. For one person, heaven is to be, you know, a great athlete. Another person, heaven is to be a great scholar. So we might not identify that we're basically looking for the same thing. And the other main benediction that Prithumara sees that people want is Kaivalya. And... Again, this is something that most of us want, at least sometimes. Some people are focused on this, especially the Ghanis and the Yogis, as their main goal. You know, I, I recently, well, two months ago, I was giving some classes at the Shivananda Ashram in the Bahamas. Uh, they're heavy impersonalists. They're like, really? They're the real deal, these guys. Um, they regularly invite this kind devotees, they're kind of the Yatamat Tatapat people, so you know, everybody's good. And and many ISKCON preachers give programs there. But it was just that their whole focus was, you know, I want to merge, I want to merge. But I think that most human beings feel like this sometimes. You know, oh, I wish everything would just go away. Everybody would go away. The world would go away. <laughs> <laughs> you know the time when it's it's time to get out of bed and instead of getting out of bed you put the covers over you more and you just say you know I don't want to go anywhere I don't want to do anything I'm tired of the world I know sometimes it may be very extreme uh, that a person may be suicidal and so forth but at least sometimes when we just kind of, oh, can it just go away? <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of this urge for Kaivalya will show up in people taking intoxication or even people sometimes going on a vacation. Uh, they may go on a vacation to imitate heaven and they may go on a vacation to imitate Kaivalya. And there's certainly a, a lot of interest nowadays in impersonal and voidist meditation and impersonal and voidist philosophy because most of the religious philosophies in the world have disappointed people. So there's there's more and more of an idea that Kaivalya is the goal. Kaivalya is a is a good sankalpa. 
So Pritchard Morris has looked at each of these and he's decided this is going to be on my not to do list. And why is that? Well, he's seen that if you just get heaven, you're still not happy. And our, our biggest example of this phenomena we discussed recently on Lord Nasinga Dave's appearance today is Hiranyakashipu. That Hiranyakashipu got, uh, I mean, he got really better than Indra. Now, he got Indra's throne, but it said that everyone in the universe except for Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva were subordinate to him. I mean, Indra normally has, if we read like in Briyad Bhagavatamrita, he has quite a number of personalities on higher planets that are below Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, but they're not under his authority. The Prajapadis, the Rishis, and so forth in the universe. But Hiranyakashipu was in charge of everyone. He had no rival. He had all mystic powers. And he was not happy. He was always intoxicated. He was yelling at the demigods for no reason. And Pritchard Mars looked around and saw, I mean, and even in his own life, he was the, the king. He had great opulence himself. And he looked around and saw that, that there's no deep satisfaction in these things. I mean, sure, we'd all prefer to have a, a life without so much misery, but deep satisfaction is just not attained in that way. And such can be found in the lives of anybody who achieves any kind of great opulence in this world. The psychological studies are that when people win the lottery or get a huge inheritance, within six months, their happiness is right back to where it was before that. You know, it doesn't have a lasting impact on a person's happiness. It's, you know, the comparison is usually the will of the wisp. It's, it's something illusory and very, very temporary. And all of the great religious traditions of the world teach this. I mean, after some time, the followers may promote some idea of Rajagun and enjoying the world in a pious way. But the original spiritual teachers, you know, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, they, they never teach <laughs> that you should go for heavenly delights. It, it's not... It's simply a, a fancier version of the same thing. You know, the analogy is given if you have the same food in a gold pot as you have in an iron pot, it basically tastes the same. Now, Prabhupada would often say that what we human beings enjoy is not that different from what the animals enjoy. I mean, we can say, well, like right today where I am, it's raining, kind of cold. And we can say, well, you know, I'm in a building, I'm in a heated building, um, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable. Whereas the animals have to just be out in the rain. A lot of these animals have no shelter, like the deer, they have no shelter. And, or the animals are constantly being afraid of being eaten by another animal. So I have such a, you know, a much higher standard of enjoyment. But it's, it's basically the same thing. It's all just the enjoyment of the senses and the mind uh, based around the ego. So even if it's a better senses and better minds, a higher sense of ego, it's not satisfying. So he was able to see that, and I think that, you know, the vast majority of those of us who've taken up Krishna consciousness 
I could see this very clearly even from the beginning. It just, yeah, it doesn't make it. You know, the nice house and the nice car and the full bank account and the satisfying job and the loving spouse and the loving children and, you know, the good health. And, but it, it doesn't give us what we want. It's not that there's anything wrong with those things or that, you know, we all have to live in poverty in the Himalayan cave. But those things in and of themselves are not going to satisfy us. And then Kaivalya, there we're going to something spiritual. There we're going to Brahman. And the happiness of Brahman is, can't even be compared to material happiness, even to the best material happiness, because it is genuinely on the spiritual level. And so those who achieve this Kaivalya will talk about this, you know, great, bliss and great freedom and it it seems like such a worthy goal you know wow I can be one with God and one with the light and I can experience unlimited bliss and I mean just honestly the descriptions of Brahman realization can be just as attractive if not more attractive than the descriptions of going to heaven I mean it can be like wow you know, that sounds really nice. But I found it quite fascinating that I've read a number of accounts, and I've met some people personally, of people who appear, at least from all, uh, from their descriptions and so forth, to have achieved Brahman realization. It, it's unusual in 2020, but there are such people. And they all end up hankering for material varieties again. Uh, one of them that I was, I was reading, he said he couldn't understand why he would want to come down from that state and again have an illusion of separateness and have an illusion of being the doer. That is just like, why do I want to do that? Or I, I give the example of this one uh, Indian woman in Singapore, a very famous lady, where she experienced Brahman in a near-death experience. And she said, you know, I, I wanted to come back in my body and come back to a feeling of being separate so I could enjoy relationships. She said, you know, in my Brahman experience, I was everyone and everyone was me. And therefore, I wasn't able to have a reciprocal relationship with anyone. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what Prabhupada says. So... If something's ultimately satisfying, then why do people not want to stay there? Avasuddha buddhiya, the Bhagavatam says. The buddhi, the intelligence of the sutta, it's not yet purified. The sense of an ego, the sense of enjoyment for me is still very much at the center. And so Pritchard looked at these things and said, don't want, don't want. Now, the problem, which I've already discussed, is that we may still have an attraction to these things. We may have kind of both. You know, we may say, well, I already have seen the futility of materialistic life, and I want spiritual life, but there's a part of us that goes, oh, can I have a nice house and a nice car? (laughs) You know, or maybe a dog. (laughs) Right? And a beautiful garden and, you know, nice clothes and good food. And, and I have heaven. 
and there may be a part of us that goes, oh, can I be liberated? You know, can I just merge and forget everything? So there may be a, some difference between our gyan and vigyan. That we're convinced intellectually, we're convinced philosophically, but our heart is still going, heaven, 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 merging, merging, merging. Right? And that, that our, our heart is still hankering for these things. And we may even try to convince ourselves that such is not the case. You know, oh, no, 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 I only want pure emotional service. Well, but that may not be true. And the reality is, Krishna is giving us whatever we want. And so if we genuinely want heavenly happiness or genuinely want uh, just some sort of impersonal liberation, then we're not going to be bestowed with prema bhakti. You know, because that's not what we want. Just like Jesus told his disciples, he said, even an ordinary sinful person will give his child what the child asks for. He's not going to give him, you know, something different than what he asks for, what he needs. So the same with Krishna. Krishna is not, if, we're, if, if externally we're saying, oh, prema bhakti, prema bhakti, and our heart's going, heaven, 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 kaipalya, 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 <laughs> you know, just like I've given this example many times, that when we're in Vrindavan, especially, if you go through the streets of Vrindavan, especially in Loy Bazaar, but, or you go through Govardhan town, so many people will see you and say, oh, there's a, you know, white person in, sorry, in Tilak, Dodi in Tilak, and they'll say, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. They have a poster of Srila Prabhupada in their shop. You know, the little children will come up to you, Haribo, Haribo. But they want your money. You know, it's it's just obvious. They're not saying Hare Krishna because they want to love Krishna. They're saying, shop at my store. <laughs> Spend your money in my store. And we can immediately understand that that's their real motive. It's, it's not difficult to figure that out. So it's not difficult for Krishna to understand in our heart what our real motive is. So we have to move from a philosophical conviction. I mean, one thing I noticed was a back to God editor for 30 years is that a lot of the articles that were submitted were just about what's intellectually wrong with material enjoyment or what's intellectually wrong with impersonalism. And that's not going to be sufficient. It's, it's not going to it's not going to be enough. Prithimaraj is not speaking here from an intellectual conviction. As Srila Prabhupada would say many times, that the devotee is filled up. They are, they are satisfied. They don't want these other things because they genuinely have no internal desire for them. It's not a philosophical or an intellectual conviction only, but it is just a practical disinterest. And it's not even an aversion. I mean, we know we have that sloka where Yamunacharya says he's spitting at the thought of sex life. But it's not that he's adverse to the biological act of sex or that he's adverse to women per se. But he's disgusted by the mood of personal lust. He's disgusted by the mood of 
of selfishness. And he said that disgust is not even uh, a hatred of it per se, but it's simply that this is a block between me and my beloved. Huh? And, you know, we all, we all let go of things because we love somebody. We all let go of things because we love somebody. Uh, just like I was hearing one woman say that when she was growing up, her mother made potato pancakes with applesauce. But when she got married and she asked her husband, do you want applesauce on your potato pancakes? And he said, ew. You used to put sour cream on them, not applesauce. And therefore, even though she liked applesauce on potato pancakes, she never actually prepared that uh, because she loved her husband. And she wanted to prepare something that he would like. And this is very common that we, because we care about somebody, um, we become disinterested in something that even held some attraction to us. Of course, with the devotees, they also become disinterested because they're just so satisfied that these other things seem just insignificant and, and foolish and just not attractive. Um, you know, once you eat prasada, why would you want to eat a hamburger at McDonald's? I mean, just there, there's no, there's no attraction in it. It's just like being presented with something that, that where one is completely flat towards it. So, in order to really be able to say what Prithimar is saying, we have to have an experience of taste in Krishna consciousness. I mean, otherwise whatever we convince ourselves of intellectually and whatever we convince ourselves of or theoretically, we'll still find our heart being drawn. And we've all had experience with our not-to-do list, I'm sure. I mean, I know I have. That some of the things on my not-to-do list, I will do anyway. Because I'm not really feeling the, the full conviction. You know, I have an intellectual conviction but I don't have a heart conviction. Like, oh, you know that I shouldn't be doing this. I know it's not really going to help me with my goal, but it's fine. You know, and there, there has to be some kind of an inner, an inner taste. So what should we do when these um, desires arise? Because desires for heavenly enjoyment and desires for impersonal liberation will probably arise if we're if we're in this material world. So we can see these like it says, like Prabhupada says, even if the desires are present, we will see these as not us. We can see them as this is not me, this is not of the soul. This is a desire of the mind, it's a desire of the body, but it's not really a desire of the soul. And I, I'm not going to meditate on it. I'm not going to contemplate on it. Either as good or bad. I'm simply just going to say that. That's, that's something that has nothing to do with me. And to start being, as Prabhupada says in the 15th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna describes his abode as not being illumined by the sun, the moon, or electricity, to become captivated by the information of Krishna and the spiritual world. And, well, that's easy. It's really easy to be captivated by descriptions of Krishna and the spiritual world. The descriptions of Krishna and the spiritual world are very 
captivating. Krishna is all attractive. The, it's supposed to be relationships and the activities of the spiritual world are very attractive. They're the ultimate expression of a heaven, but without the selfishness, without the self-centeredness. And they're the ultimate expression of oneness because everyone is one in interest and one in love. Everyone has the same center. And there's a sense of unity and there's, there's total freedom and total liberation. So whatever we want in Swarga, whatever we want in Kaivalya, is there in Krishna. It's included in Krishna. As Prabhupada says, when you get $100, all of your $1 problems are solved. So as we become attracted to Krishna, we're not attracted to these other things. It's like, why would I want something lesser and partial when I can have the complete? So it's a question of really cultivating that attachment and attraction for Krishna. So we have some time if people have questions or comments. I always have a question if nobody else does, but anyone wants to go. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, well, you see, they talk like there's a sort of a choice of um, destinations, one being heavenly enjoyment, liberated in, in heavenly realm, or kaivalya, or bhakti. It kind of seems that, that really the only choice anyway in this age is bhakti. Because just like when Arjuna was asking about the, the simply meditation, Arjuna rejected it. That type of meditation just isn't going to work in the age of Kali. The... It said, Arroya Krishna Parampadang Tatapadinthonanda Dijushmarangraha. That Arroya Krishna is great, great, very, very difficult to obtain Kaivalya. What to speak of the fact that it's Kali Yuga? And the same with, with heavenly liberation, with the pre- predominance of, of passion and ignorance so strong. I'm not so sure how realistic it is in this age people can attain that goal. So it kind of seems like the only practical, real choice is bhakti, because bhakti is very obtainable. You know, we do have a process and a very practical, real process. So, well, that, you know, that's a really of, good point. Not only are those things not worth getting to, that you probably couldn't get them anyway. Right, that's my point. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure there are people who do achieve them. You know, I've, I've met people who are Brahmin realized, and I've read about people who certainly seem to be Brahmin realized. It's definitely a minority, but there are people attaining Thyroria. And right. I'm sure that there are also... Highest uh, people in Satvagun. Again, I have met people in Satvagun. I do know people in Satvagun. So it's not that it's not that nobody's going to the heavenly planets, and it's not that nobody's merging into the Brahman. But as far as something for people in general, it seems a little tough. You know, I mean, it, it really seems a little tough. I mean, people have a hard time just having the most basic level of, of civilized behavior what to speak of anything else. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with you. But I, I wouldn't say that it's impossible. I'd say, you know, first of all, these things are not worth attaining, and second of all, you're probably not going to attain them anyway. You know, it's just like one of my granddaughters says, you know, I want to be, I want to be an Olympic gold medalist in gymnastics. 
And, you know, we have to say that's probably not an attainable career goal. You know, it's just, it's fine if you want to try for it, but you're going to have to work extremely hard. You know, people who want to go to the Olympics, they've got to be putting in eight or ten hours a day on their, on their uh, skill. And most of them aren't even going to make the team what to speak of getting a prize and what to speak of getting the gold medal. Mm. You know, so I, I think it's very similar. Obviously, somebody gets the gold right. medal in gymnastics. It's not that nobody gets it. But if you, you know, if you're telling people your goal in life should be a gold medalist in the Olympics, then the most people are going to be in for disappointment. Whereas, yeah, bhakti, yeah, bhakti is, is very attainable. And bhakti is attainable by anybody in any situation, you know, qualified, unqualified, whatever. Okay, Ramananda said, can you explain more about how even those in hellish conditions, one can also experience the same kind of benedictions? How is it possible for those in hell to experience heavenly enjoyment, which is speak of Kayavalya? No, the point is that they're not experiencing the same thing externally. But the nature of the stuff is the same. You know, it, it, the nature is, of the stuff isn't different. If, if someone's in a war eating, you know, they're in a war zone eating army rations that taste terrible, and someone else is in a, you know, some royal palace eating some gourmet food. So obviously the gourmet food tastes better and we would probably say it may be healthier than the rations that the guy's eating while the bombs, bombs are falling all around him. But the experience of getting pleasure from eating is essentially the same. It's, it's simply an interaction of senses and sense objects. The mind then interpreting that interaction in a particular way and the soul is the observer vicariously thinking that they're enjoying. So that, that process is basically the same. Whether, you know, I mean, we'd all rather eat gourmet food and be eating while bombs are falling, uh, some, some old food. But the, the basic eating process is not that different. I mean, like Prabhupada says, sex among the animals, sex among the humans, I mean, you know, again, the details of sex among the animals is not very nice and compared to most sex among humans. But the, the basic enjoyment is the same. And, you know, the, the Prabhupada will say that the sense enjoyment of those in heaven is thousands and thousands of times greater than what we're experiencing here. But the basic process is, is the same. It's still something that's not enjoyed directly by the soul. It's something the soul is just witnessing. It's happening just in the mind, and the soul is identifying with it, and it's an interplay of, of matter. Okay, Mahalakshmi says, uh, when I understand and wish to focus my attention on japa and still the mind keeps going to other things, then those other things are still more important to me. Yeah, of course. But to some extent, that's just the nature of the mind. And... Therefore, Krishna says, keep pulling the mind back to the self. It said that uh, Jed Bharat's practice was to ignore the mind. You know, it's not that one hates the mind. Yes, Balabhadra Prabhu. Thank you very much for a wonderful class. 
You talked about this in a variety of ways, so you probably already answered it, and I just missed it. You said something very interesting uh, in the earlier part of your class, which uh, it was just a phrase that I've never really considered before, eliminating a not-to-do from the list. I was trying to understand, what does she mean by eliminating a not-to-do and then adding a to-do? And the only thing I could recall to my mind when you said these things was uh, was the uh, the third verse in the Bible, Gita, where Christus says, uh, we should say that one who, who is a pretender when he artificially, his, his, his externally renouncing something, but his mind is dwelling on it like anything. Mm-hmm. And so therefore he's just kidding himself and all others around him. So could you, like, because I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking that probably all of us, to one degree or another, have something we really want to do, but we're trying to artificially deal with it. And so how do we be peaceful with something like that? Could you talk a little bit on that? Well, I, I, I have a whole class, which I, I just gave it for the devotees in Sao Paulo, Brazil, about how to get rid of Maya. And there, there's different... Um, there's many different ways of getting rid of the things that we don't want in our life. Sometimes it's really simple. I mean, there, there are times when it's just exceptionally simple that you just say, I'm not going to turn on my computer until 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, it, it, you, can, you, can, you can have a not-to-do list, and sometimes it's just that simple, and, and it can be done. Uh, but other times we're really struggling because part of us wants to do the thing and part of us wants to not do the thing. You know, that's that's when we really have a difficulty. When we're like, you know, I don't want to eat the extra piece of cake, but I do want to eat the extra piece of cake. I don't want to spread negative gossip about people, but it's so much fun to spread negative gossip about people. It's, it's You know, that's that's when we come to the struggle. And that's when we have the, you know, okay, I'm going to have this on my not-to-do list, and it, it just doesn't work. And there, there's a lot of cures for that. I have, um, I mean, it's already 1 o'clock now. If you go to YouTube, there's something that for, I don't know why, but at New Vrindavan they called it the inner view, like an inner tire you know, an inner courtyard, the inner view, and it would be, I think it's class number two. It's called Struggles with Maya, and there I give a list of, not sure how many, um, nine or ten different techniques. I mean, I could pull it up. It's not something I could go through in depth right now. Uh, yeah, it's it's class number two on the interview, so you can see it there. But the um, the remedies. Can we do a share screen with um with this thing? Sure, sure. Just give me a second here, and I can uh, set that up. Yeah. 
getting there. I just got to find you because there's so many people online. Ah, here we go. Well, right now you're sharing your screen. I know, I know. Switch presenter. Okay, you should see the invite. Yeah, yeah, okay. I have to download something? Uh, if you don't have it downloaded already, but it should only take a moment to download okay. it. Okay. Oh, that was a, it's, a little, it's an exact file. Anyway, I'll have it for next time, right? Let's see. I have to something I have to download and then run. Okay. What's the title of the YouTube video? It's called on YouTube, The Inner View, but it's going to be part two. All right, well, this is, this is definitely taking a little bit of time. That's two words, inner view. Okay, there you go. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. Okay, so... It says host, but then it'll probably be a different meeting. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, Am I there? we can hear you fine. Okay, can you see a PowerPoint? Yes. All right. Does it say Sadhu Sangha at the top? Yes, it does. Okay, great. Fantastic. So these are the different options that we talk about for getting things off a to-do list. And I don't have time, to, again, to go through them in depth here. But association with devotees, switching to our spiritual identity, switching the enjoyment we're getting. So getting, figuring out what we're enjoying materially, finding a way to enjoy that spiritually. Uh, detachment, just having this, this take-back view of on the observer having spiritual hobbies and recreation, forming completely different habits, rewarding small steps to give up the attachment instead of trying to do it all at once, allowing for the problem in certain circumstances, taking vows first for three days, then like two weeks and a month, making very big changes in our life, and then just patience for when Krishna uh, removes this problem from our life. Okay, so I can... Stop sharing if there's a way to stop sharing. Yeah, I can take the screen away. Okay, well, I probably should just should just get off now. Okay, thank you very much. Jai. Jai. Thank you so much. Jai Bong. Hare Krishna.
Boston.